0: Hello, welcome to the Machine Ethics Podcast. This month, we have a bumper episode where we're recording from COGX 2017 in London, where we're invited to go along and check out the speakers and talk to people about the future of AI. At cogex.co, you can find information about CogEx, the AI Innovation Exchange, and annual awards bringing together thought leaders across more than 20 industries domains to address the impact of AI. I went along to COGX for two days, where I also met Josie Swords, who joins me now. Hi, Josie.
1: Hello, it's great to be here. Hi,
0: Josie. So yeah, you were there over the two days of the conference, talking to people and uh, participating in the different sessions. Um, is there anything that stands out of the idea of what this, um, this conference is trying to achieve or kind of portray in the media?
1: Yeah, it, it very much felt like the conference is trying to bring together all the different people who are working in AI across lots of different sectors. Um, and I guess get them in the same room and get them talking on the same page, really. Because there was a really nice diversity of topics that sort of AI was being threaded through throughout the whole conference, like transport, ethics, that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, it was cool. Yeah, I think some of the themes that I um, got out of the sessions were um, ethics generally, definitely uh, collaboration, diversity was a big one, uh, data for good, personal data, data bias, Uh, jobs loss came up quite a few times, um, educating people uh, to use the tools and a huge amount of investment going into AI in the industry at the moment. Um, I was just wondering if you kind of um, felt like we are doing enough or there's enough um, talk about kind of AI at the moment and the repercussions because it's quite a trendy topic.
1: Yeah, definitely. It It was very much a conference of believers, um, mm. even if that was sort of expressed in different ways. Um, and I think as well, it was a room full of believers, but, but also thinking about well, who might be missing from this conversation. So a lot of things that... i I saw coming up was you know what's the role of government here and they had the minister for innovation i think it was and they had lord young speaking so you know they was there but didn't feel like i guess the role of government i didn't didn't feel like i had any clarity on that coming out of Cogex, but it did come up a lot
0: yeah so some really great conversation but not necessarily something concrete that you can take away with you just yet maybe yeah So, yeah, we talk more about your research at the end of the podcast in your Vox Pop. I was just wondering if there's anything else that struck you about the conference while we were there over the two days, any themes or subjects?
1: I think it was, what really struck me was the, I guess, the, such a breadth of people. So I met someone from PwC and then I met someone who's in Oxford who's doing biomedical research. Um, You know, it just was like a really... Big mix of people, um, and I guess illustrated to me all the different industries that are using AI. So I think that was that was something that I wasn't really expecting. Actually, I thought I was going to meet much more like many more developers and kind of tech heads and stuff like that. But didn't really seem. I don't know. Maybe they were just avoiding me. <laughs> <I didn't,
2: laughs>
1: but yeah, I think yeah, that's what I was expecting. Which um, no, it didn't end up it did up meeting that many people from those backgrounds.
0: Yeah, I think for me it was it was kind of like AI in business and showing. Um, all the different practical uses of AI um, and th- though there was some techies there I think it was much more of a coming out of how, how we can use AI in the real world sort of thing definitely Okay, well, if you need to find out any more information about COGX, go to cogx.co. They will be releasing some more audio and video from the conference over the coming weeks. So check that out. Uh, We have a small bit of recording from Lord Young later on, but I I would really track out the longer version if you can. Um, We're going to start with um, a little bit from Charlie and Tabitha from the introduction to the conference and then a small section of Sean O'Haggerty from Cambridge Centre of Existential Risk. Then we've got a couple of Vox Pops from people who attended the uh, conference, Um, some of Lord Young's speech, and then some of the ethics session right into the podcast. So stay tuned and thanks for listening. Bye.
3: So this conference, and just to frame the conversation that we want to help move forward, is really about narrow AI and vertical AI. We're not going to ignore superintelligence, but we're going to put that into the background and really focus on what can be done today. And not just today, but for the next three years. So what's the impact of AI on industry, on government and society for the next three years? But this industry is not without its challenges. In the era of ethics, there's a big question as to how do we train artificial intelligence? Of course, the answer is with data. And the next question is where did that data come from? and is it representative of our current population and our thoughts and our actions? Um, And how does that make us feel when we hold a mirror up to ourselves? Is that how we'd like AI to behave, like us? So there's a lot of questions around ethics in AI and how we're actually setting ourselves up here. There's a lot of questions around rights. So we have rights today to privacy, security, to be in control of our own destiny, our own lives. And how do those get impacted by AI? Who does have access to my data? Obviously, AI is driven by data. Do so we want AI to have access to some data? But do we want to always have access to our data? And then, of course, fairness. Having fair access to the technology. You know, telecoms and energy, we have the concept of universal access, but also fair access to the economic benefits. And what does that actually mean? And is there? a change required to the current social contract that we have, getting educated, working, and then retiring um, through the course of our life. So some huge opportunities and some huge challenges. So what we're trying to do at this conference is help everybody here get back to those questions of what is AI, but more importantly, what will its impact be on industry, on government, society, and on each of us?
0: We mentioned uh, Terminator earlier. Do you have like, uh, a vision for AI in the future? Is it, is it a rosy one or um,
4: do you feel like uh, we're heading in the wrong direction? Um, well, I'm, I think we're heading in a certain direction and we cannot go back. And there's these two camps, the Doomsday Sayers and the Enthusiasts. And just because I'm an optimist in general, I like to see the good in what it can do. And so far it has proven to be really good and i continue to believe that but it's certainly something we have to keep in mind and make sure to know what our systems are doing and not just blindly proceed with them definitely yeah that's right thank you thank you Ben. it's our view that one of the really important things we need to bring together people who have deep expertise in these um, different areas who aren't necessarily always talking to each other so it's a collaboration between Cambridge Machine Learning Department led by Zagun Garamani on the one hand, and also um, the Humanities Department on the other hand, and we have spokes in other universities. But really the aim is get people from sociology, economics, machine learning, um, policy all into the same place, talking to each other regularly. It's our view that these um, advances are going to come faster and faster, and the people who actually know what they need to know about the different angles of this. you need to be talking to each other all of the time in order to keep up with these advances, rather than you know, trying to adapt to it um, retrospectively when a technological advance happens. Well, I don't know if there's any specific one breakthrough. So, as David alluded to, I mean, the really big breakthrough or set of breakthroughs would be the ones that led to true artificial general intelligence. Everything that we've achieved on the earth so far and we have completely transformed the planet is a product of our intelligence and so if we are able to create intelligence that have our ability to operate in a wide range of environments not just solve problems but formulate new problems and then figure out how to solve them and um, engage in true creativity um, and make scientific advances beyond what we can do ourselves I think nothing could possibly um, compare to that I mean that's a real sort of civilizational change that might be beyond anything before, including the Industrial Revolution. However, as you pointed out in your talk, we don't know how far away that is. And some people like yourself are ambitious and say five to 10 years, but I've spent the last couple of years speaking to experts in a whole load of areas and um, some are as optimistic as you are. Um, Many think it's considerably further away. Some people, like for example, um, you probably know Maggie Bowden very well. is you know, quite sceptical and thinks that actually general intelligence is much more conceptually difficult than we um, really realise and that we might still be hundreds of years away. Uh, with that said, I think we can't be complacent, I mean, advances are going quickly at the moment that maybe this um, will um, creep up on us quite soon and people should be doing work on it. However, as um, you've both pointed out, even before we get to that point, I think that Narrow artificial intelligence, and also the artificial intelligence that we're developing, which will have an increasing level of generality without being true human intelligence, is going to have really important impacts on so many of the big challenges that we face. Um,
3: give, give, it, what's an example of something that, that, that? So it could be in the relative short term.
4: On the, on the top level, a lot of the big challenges we're going to face are ones that involve huge, huge amounts of information and complex interconnected systems. and It's a little bit hard for us as people to really make sense of all of this information and these very complex systems. So if you think of anything that involves huge amounts of information and complex systems, then we need these tools to help us deal with it. So I'm really interested, for example, in uh, the impacts on how we um, Generating use energy we have a huge problem with climate change. Yeah. We are not meeting targets There's this ambitious 1.5 degrees, but if you read through the IPCC's plans, um, if you read through the um, It doesn't look like it's actually going to reach it. Well, if you then look at the production and the use of energy and the production of CO2 every single step along the path can be attacked with AI and machine learning in some way. There are projects doing really interesting work on basically hooking up um, solar um, photovoltaic um, plants with um, fossil plants with meteorological data to make the um, production of energy and uh, from these sources more efficient. Um, Google DeepMind recently applied their um, variant, I believe, of their Atari algorithm to Google server farms to optimize energy use. And that's something that people put a lot of effort into, and yet they were able to drop the energy use by 30 to 40%. Now, that's the energy output of a town or a city. And you can then imagine, you know, rolling that up to, you know, the European energy grid, for example, or the US energy grid, and suddenly it drops down.
0: So, Stefan, what do you think is the future of AI? Or what, what are the things that really excite you about AI at the moment? Uh, well, hopefully not uh,
5: anything like Gattaca or Minority Report or anything like that. Um, I think what excites me about AI is that even with the volume of investment and research and uh, commerce going into it, we I don't think we've really scratched the surface <laughs> necessarily. But there's been a lot of a lot of discussion today about potential applications, which. Uh, to be fair, I don't think we necessarily understand the the breadth of that at this point. So that's potentially the most exciting thing. I think there are some interesting ethical questions, uh, given this is an uh, an, uh, an ethics podcast. Um, And I think some of those include, say, one of the concerns that you get from the media often is, oh, AI is putting people out of jobs. Uh, So is it going to increase the wealth gap? Uh, But at the same time, I think that AI is also creating a lot of jobs uh, and AI is such a broad term that it's the variety of uses for it uh, are so wide that it's, it's not very easy to pin on a particular industry. So I, d- I don't think that that's necessarily, I don't think it's a realistic view that AI is removing jobs, I suspect in fact, uh, it's going to contribute to a better quality of life Uh, and it's already generated at least one or two relatively
0: nascent industries. You're looking on the the brighter side of that kind of (laughs) coin, if you like.
5: Yeah, 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 I am. I mean, uh, as a data protection lawyer, a lot of the concerns that we discuss with our clients and uh, that we get uh, just as a perk of the job is uh, include concern from people that are suddenly seeing vast amounts of data, Uh, Including their personal information used for a very wide variety of applications, and I think there's one issue that needs to be addressed is education and informing people about how their data is being used, why it's being used, and putting them in control of it, which is quite a difficult thing to do uh, from a technical perspective. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah.
0: Uh, I heartily agree. One of the things
5: that is Emerging from the change in in regulation and also guidance from the Information Commissioner's Office and that sort of thing, is is this increased focus on making that information accessible? So, yeah. talking about things like a layered approach to informing people about how their information is used, just in time notices. Yeah. So just as you're submitting a particular piece of information, that's the time really you should be informed about how it's being used. So Mm -hmm. while a lot of people have concerns about privacy policies going from two pages to 15 or 30, and that really being to protect the businesses that are relying on them, rather than informing the people that are reading them, I think in fact we're going to see, hopefully, the opposite, Mm -hmm. that they're going to become more accessible, more digestible, um, and more practical.
0: Um, thank you very much, Stefan.
2: Cheers.
0: What do you think about uh, the future of AI? Just you kind of a rosy picture of
6: um, society? And, um... Um, I guess you know there's 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 such a you know a huge range of what could potentially happen. So like you have the people who the the, 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 the pessimists who are just like you know it's, it's doomed for all, like Sam Harris for example, and then you have other ones who say you know it's just going to make everything better. Um, my my personal opinion is I'm so, somewhere in the middle. Um, I, there's something that I'm quite interested in, in, in sort of um, uh, researching more, and it's the effect of how these technologies are, evolve over time in sort of... Okay, so you have academia and you have... Um, you have the, uh, the, the, the the private enterprise. Mm-hmm. Within the private enterprise, they, they own the IPs for a lot of these technologies. But if we're ever going to truly develop something which is AI, yeah. there has to be a huge amount of collaboration. So there's going to have to be a huge push for open source and making technologies cheaper. Yep. So what that then leads to, if this is you know the goal that we have, of creating you know a, a general um, artificial intellect. Is that this has a very deflationary effect on the price. So if if this is a a trend that we see, what's going to happen to capitalism? Because if prices what what is going to happen to capitalism? Exactly. So you know, if if prices are you know follow this deflationary pattern Mm. then what what's going to happen? We're going to have two types of. Um, economics where we have a planned economy and we have uh, something which is, you know, uh, you know, say commodity markets which have to operate in sort of a capitalistic sense. So yeah. these are sort of the things that when, when I think of AI are the problems that we're going to have to start facing yeah, and, and address. Yeah, yeah.
0: So um, uh, as we start carving away um, more and more jobs from the market and perhaps more and more resources are digitised or Ubiquitous uh, with cheaper energy and that sort of thing. Um, You think the wholesale capitalistic um, degrade into some sort of other economy, a new model has to appear basically. Yes,
6: yes, so there has to be, you know, there's there's going to be a, you know, as you said, there's going to be a sort of an initial effect where people start losing their jobs. Then what will happen is there'll be an attempt to start to retrain people, but um, I don't think everyone can be Sorry, retrained yeah. because then you're just creating a, a, a market which is overly abundant with, with people and again yeah. what happens price goes down. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's going to be maybe two, two economies, the planned economy and then there's going to be uh, a resource economy which is you know, trading the co- uh, say, uh, commodities for example. Yeah. Um, and this is probably a trend that we're going to see. I, I, I tried to su- submit the question at the, the talk here, but yeah. it didn't get answered, didn't oh, get answered <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> well, uh, hopefully next year, anyway. Yeah, maybe, maybe next um, year.
0: Peter Bevington? Bevington. Yes. Bevington, great. Uh, lovely to meet you. Yeah, nice there very you are. Nice, nice to
7: meet you.
8: Cheers.
0: What do you think uh, the future of um, society, AI, and that sort of thing entails? The... come on Toby you can solve this this is your
9: time right <laughs> um, the future of AI is um, good Lord um, I think well AI is there's a lot of talk at the moment about AI as if it's this new thing yes. um, and uh, as if we've just invented this thing that will allow us to get rid of all knowledge workers' jobs via myth magical machines that are going to run the world. Uh, The fact is, I mean, the first AI companies started going bust in the early 80s, Um, so it's it's definitely not a new thing. Um, People are just branding anything that is... Uh, technology that they don't really understand as AI Um, (laughs) I mean, mean, you you go and talk to the guys who are running this for example and uh, they call themselves AI but they actually say they're machine learning Um, and uh, they're basically saying it's smart tech, it's where where are things which are not just consumer card applications, where things are actually running any algorithms behind the scenes, what are they doing Um, so I think yeah there's lots and lots of places in which um, we are essentially repeating boring knowledge work jobs that will be Automated currently, looking at a lot of stuff in I don't know, uh, a lot of uh, legal jobs. A lot of um, uh, well, anyone who was pushing paper for a long time um, is I didn't mean to um, uh, single out one particular industry, uh, but no. uh, anyone who's pushing paper for a long time, a lot of those will be helped to uh, well, will be automated to some extent. Yeah. Um, but I think a lot of the benefit of that will be that. Um, that the people who were just repeating the same jobs over and over again can now focus on becoming better at them. Um, and so those machines ought to be able to help you to repeat the tasks that you were doing over and over again so that you can focus on telling them how to make be better at them. Um, that's my hope anyway.
0: Okay. Um, great. Well, uh, Toby Abel? Abel. 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 Yeah. Uh, thanks very much.
9: Love to meet you. Uh,
10: I'm Irene mean, um, I am with the HAT Foundation Group. I'm a professor at University of Warwick, who is part of the HAT Foundation Group.
7: Yep. so you uh,
0: so this, this is not a company, it's, is it a, it's company? a group, it's, it's a, a consortium. Group. consortium, and so you're producing software, which is free? Oh. Yep. Um,
10: yes, so the HAT is a private data account. It's fully open source, and so it behaves like a user account on any app. And so you can just take the hat technology and build an app on it and without having to deal with all the full stack and backend and everything. So you just build the service on top of it and the Fair Hat Foundation group are universities and startups, whoever want to join and build stuff on the hat where the private data account, the hat, belongs absolutely legally to the person.
0: Yeah. And the hat stands for Hub of all things. Hub of all things. And it means that I can uh, put my personal data on there?
10: You can put anything on there. So um, you can, if there's an API from Facebook and Twitter, so if you go to your hat today uh, at yep. um you can pull your Facebook data, your Twitter data, your calendar, your photos. So uh, later you get Monzo, Fitbit, anywhere that's an API you can just acquire it in. So you get data as the app, maybe you're messaging or something, but so does the user. So it's uh, equitable. Yeah both, yeah, yeah. both of you get copies of the same data.
0: Right. And do you... Um, so if I built something on top of this system, mm-hmm. um, do I have to be in a... Can I make a company of doing that? Of or course. Or so, I just get consent? Um,
10: so you can get a company and you build yep. a new app. And uh, many of our app builders build new apps on the hat. And they actually... we um, The foundation has... Three or four uh, capabilities we to incubate new apps. Yep. Um, if you need help um, in terms of pitching your idea to bring funding in, mm-hmm. talk to Jonathan. Right, and uh, he's part of the foundation to help startups do that. If you need understanding of the tech and how it flows, talk to Xiao, our CTO. So we have in the foundation CTOs for hire, mm-hmm. uh, uh, community and commerce people for hire, so that you don't have to have a whole team. Yep. as an, a startup and then we have a tech team that helps you integrate the build on the tech so that you can come up with an mvp or a very simple something to show yeah. so literally you could have a startup that goes into a funding round without really having a lot of stuff
0: yeah and um for the kind of ad- average um, Joe public, is this something that they have to be educated about? Uh, they can roll like a hat up quite quickly and do it um, themselves, or so, how does that work?
10: Yeah, so th- there are different things. I mean, it gets a little bit, confi- a bit confusing sometimes because you go to an app and you have a user account and you sign on like a normal user account. Then you see that it's one corner that says you have got yourself a hat, and then you go check what the hat is and you realise, wait, your user can- account can can go to other apps. Well, let, let's do that. Um, so they sort of learn gradually
7: yeah, that yeah,
10: yeah. Their, their hat can do this and through can do that it. through using it. Yeah. And after a while, I mean, we're quite used to logging in on face, using Facebook. and mm-hmm. So logging in with a hat is no different in that way. But the hat is sort of special in the sense that you do actually have the data and it's yours. Yep, yep. So you can then go to another service. And, you know, and and as it accumulates, you can start buying services that can share bits and pieces, because every app, you need to do a data debit, like the way you do for a bank, mm-hmm. or for the data that you're giving to the app. Yep. So you will see your data debits, and if you don't want the app to really use your data anymore, you can just cancel it. Yeah, and they get notified. Or... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but yeah. of course, if you were using an app for insurance yeah. and discounts and things, well, you won't get that now. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah,
0: sure, sure. but. <laughs> I mean, um, I presume that the, it tells that company yes, absolutely. that you, you don't want that service anymore. That's right. And then they, they should right. be doing something about that. That's right. It's
10: a bit yeah. like an opt out on the mailing list, actually. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. And what's the future for hat, the HAT project?
10: The biggest thing for the HAT is digital personhood, because if we start collecting all bits of us, we can really make sense of us, and as we get older, these, uh, because the database is owned by us, it's our digital asset, it's treated exactly the same as our estate. So our children, when we uh, we can buy services, maybe to help with memory, with recall, we, you know, um, you don't want to eat that donut, you remember 1995, kind of <laughs> situation, yeah. you have had AI of me, that's completely private, and not yeah. that you had to give someone to get AI, so all the, cool things that you have on bots and AIs and stuff becomes possible and you're still yeah. private, which is really exciting.
11: Um, it sounds awesome. Thank you very much for your time, Irene.
10: You're very welcome. Thank you.
11: So I'm John Kurokrof, I work from Cambridge University. I also work at the Alan Turing Institute, which is a data science institute in London, um, uh, which is a bunch of universities. Um, what I mostly work on there is trying to uh, make uh, uh, systems that allow you to run machine learning and and artificial intelligence algorithms on confidential data, but in an environment where you're not completely trusting the people who own the hardware. And so the idea is to effectively build secure enclaves so that people who don't have the money to buy their own massive data processing can rent it off the usual cloud, but then can be assured that stuff's not going to leak. So that's one thing that we're kind of messing around with. Um, that's not the main reason I'm here. I was involved in this panel uh, to do with um, AI and cybersecurity, uh, which is, I think, quite interesting. i am um, done a bit of work in cybersecurity, um, less than actually in AI itself. Um, so, but um, uh, again, there's a whole bunch of interesting things in that space. So, so the thing I'm most currently interested in as a sort of technical hobby, is um, somewhere we've been mucking around with um, the transparency of machine learning algorithms. So being able to explain why an algorithm produced the output it produced. Yeah,
0: so it's mainly neural nets and kind of getting into that black box and seeing... Yeah,
11: and so there are ways you can feed in things to test the neural net, but you don't really know because there are some weird adversarial cases where the thing will do the wrong thing. And of course the wrong thing might be the classic cases you know the, the poster child example is us sentencing where you decide whether somebody goes to jail or gets released uh, you know uh, with a fine based on some machine learning but you you know the, the there are issues there is the thing going to reflect bias because of his training set even if you de-bias it is it going to rediscover that accidentally somehow i think the interesting thing with talk to people here Quite a lot of people will have this same discussion, so that's very encouraging because yeah. a lot of industry types here, who in the tech sector industry type, have been stereotyped as not really paying much attention yeah. to ethics. Yeah. I think that's somewhat unfair. I think there are a lot of people in some tech areas is it people,
0: though? Is
4: it?
11: I think a lot of tech people are, are, are concerned with ethics. No, no. I mean, I think there certainly are people that aren't, yep. um, and the, you know, there are companies that are less, pay less attention to corporate ethical behaviour. Uh, than others um, I, the question is whether you know, whether it, whether really you know the sort of stereotype CSG sector is actually worse than anyone else I mean, people that train in science and engineering people uh, might go into weapons systems I mean you know as far as I'm concerned that's just unethical you know you, you could go into defense and not be working in you know nukes or you know, drone, robot, killer weapons, yeah. uh, uh, and I won't argue with people to do that. Uh, we go into cyber defence, but you know, I'm like, you know, I don't have much time for people to go and build better automatic guns. You know, I don't see how that helps the world. Um, personally, um, the two UK things in the Data Science Institute, Turing Institute, are uh, we have a, uh, a project with the Far Institute, which is NHS data science people Mm -hmm. and the idea is to try to come up with really uh, sophisticated models of healthcare data yeah and we have all essentially I'm gonna say we we don't look at the data we can run our algorithms in their secure environment on literally all of NHS Scotland potentially all patient records to start with and that means that that's that's completely not a thing that's been seen before yeah so imagine you discovered everything that's correlated with anything else through 10,000 dimensions of patient record data you, that doesn't mean you've got all the causes but now you know where to look so imagine you know you see there's an increase in diabetes but it's slower here than here and there's something different about the age of going to school first or the uh, typical diet or the weather in the east versus the west of Scotland or whatever well, it doesn't yeah, matter yeah. what just imagine are more lightning storms here than there there's more acid yeah, yeah. uh, you know just things you just have nobody has and you just do all of them in one go yeah. So now you, now you have a list of things to start looking at medical explanations for yep. and and also what we call accidental um, experiments, which are where there was a change somewhere and it didn't happen at the same time everywhere. And then you go look and say, oh, well, this makes be it better or worse. And now we actually can start to think about root cause. Yeah. So that is that's a really exciting area where the UK could just totally blow away the whole planet in that space. Um, and you could do it fairly quickly. You could imagine right. this happening in a handful yeah, of years. Yeah. That would just hugely decrease decrease the cost of healthcare, um, you know, in a large number of areas. And yeah. then the other the other one is a slightly more mundane in a way, but it's also I think useful. We um, we're looking at uh, financial data, transaction data uh, from the regulator, from a uh, uh, financial product authority, and also yep. from uh, a very big bank, and they're 20 percent of world transactions. And one of the things you, you've got all the organizations in all those transactions yeah. so you can you can build a, a social net of those a graph mm-hmm. and then you could say if trade increases or decreases on one of these edges yeah between or, or all of the set of edges between french and english companies or welsh and uh, american companies so you just pick random things mm-hmm. then you know what is the impact on the overall system so you have these supply chains yeah Right. If you look at British car industry, for example, there's I think, I don't know, 10% of British industry, um, it's, it's mostly pieces of supply chain, it's no, not, not really one single car manufacturer. Yeah. Um, so they're extremely sensitive to that. So you could run, again, the exciting thing here would be a bit like the healthcare data, you could run a complete model and then say what happens if there's a change. Yes,
0: and you, can, you could um, hypothetically prod the model. You do
11: what? If? So you could yeah. actually answer questions that would be instead of Project Fear and you mm-hmm. know we don't like experts, it would be if you do this Brexit model, what is the actual impact yeah. without other, you know, of course, there are other factors. Yeah. Yes. But at least this piece you can't argue with. Of course, you know, there are external yeah. things we don't know about, about confidence in the market. Or, you know, there's all these weird things. Yeah. But then somebody that's a whole other interesting area, but like that's not you know, the thing. I know how to do. And I can imagine somebody injecting behavioural economics and psychology into the system. Additionally, later, uh, that would be very cool.
0: Oh, that's, that's great. Thanks for your time, John. Not at all. No, no, yeah. sorry. I'm,
11: I was driftly there. I woke up at five a.m. Should this we,
0: uh, should we see if we can get a drink somewhere? <laughs> then? So, what do you think the the future of AI is aside from um, crossword? Um.
12: I, th- I think one of, the, one of the things which was mentioned yesterday at, at the, the COGX conference was around embedding AI and machine learning technologies into general infrastructures without people actually understanding or realising they're actually there. So I think that's going to happen quite a lot, to be honest with you. I think when we get to a position where things just happen, that's when it's going to be kind of ubiquitous and stuff. I think the other thing as well is... When we start looking at machine learning and all that, and those kind of things, when it's embedded, we need to start understanding adversarial machine learning. So, at the moment, we trust that the data which is going into these algorithms and all the kind of services are is legitimate and accurate. What happens when the bad guys get hold of machine learning-type activities and machine learning-type technologies, yeah. and then understand how to mislead those kind of uh, new embedded systems and services? I think that's yeah. when we're going to have a bit of a, a pickle. And I think that's also going to be interesting from a new service perspective where you need to have security testers who are able to pen test AI systems, mm. which is a whole new market which nobody's wow. really thought about. Yeah. So instead of just testing the infrastructure and the software, yeah. you would in- actually have to have some kind of mathematical or statistical understanding to yeah. pen test the algorithms to be resilient against Oh God, I think, I think you've got
0: a business idea on the way. I
12: reckon I might have there, <laughs> actually, to be fair. You know what I
0: mean? Yeah, um, that, yeah that sounds um, impossibly uh, amazing that. Yeah. So you take an AI system, you'd prod, prod the data first, I guess. Well, the, the, so in typical
12: pen testing, so I used to be a pen yeah. tester many moons ago, and I think the way, pe- penetration testing, right? Uh, security testing, so breaking into a system, so ethical hacking, effective, right? You try to characterise the system. You do some reconnaissance. You try and understand what the system looks like. When you poke it, does it respond? And so on and so forth. If you take that concept into machine learning how can you then start thinking about things whereby how can I make my machine learning algorithm or AI or whatever do something which I want it to do. So, for example, there's been a couple of um, big cases over the past 10 years where people have duped AI or uh, machine learning type systems into doing something they didn't want to do. So 4chan is a very good example. There was a guy who set up 4chan who was then promoted to, I think, Forbes, 100 the top man through duping the actual system and duping the uh, recommendation system and stuff like that if you then transfer that into safety or safety critical systems from an infrastructure perspective what does that mean when we start looking at adversarial machine learning or adversarial generative learning those kind of things so yeah that's going to be a a tricky situation it's not going to be yet but it's going to be soon
0: paul lewis you've just blown my mind (laughs) that's very good thank you very much for your time no worries cheers
1: So my name is Josie Swords, and I'm an MSc student at Goldsmiths, and I'm researching how do you embed feminist values into artificial intelligence. Okay, cool.
0: And so what has brought you along to this uh, COGX today? Um, is there anything that has uh, jumped out at you from sessions that you've seen so far as well?
1: So I came to COGX to, I guess, get a deep dive into the industry, particularly in in England, um, and to help with my research and sort of wrap my head around the big issues that this industry is looking at at the moment. I think the biggest takeaway I had was the precision ethics session which was looking at diversity and addressing bias in artificial intelligence and just it was so nice to be in a space where there are a whole lot of other nerds like me having a great time and thinking about this stuff and and also thinking that it's incredibly important for for us and for the future of AI so that was great.
0: And you uh, were able to ask a couple of questions in the sessions as well right?
1: Yes I got two questions in and they were I think yeah, the first question was about. Um, was that, what was my first question? Oh yeah, can we change the purpose of AI to yeah. rather than being to make mechanistic humans, but can we, you know, focus on solving solving global poverty instead? And that was awesome. But I think that was a big question, and and no one really knew how to answer it, so it was met mainly with silence, which was yeah. pretty funny. I think
0: you got some agreement though, right, from um, Alan Winfield. And-
1: yes, definitely, and I think. Um, Someone brought it up in the breakout session as well about, you know, can we look at even just measuring poverty using AI rather than, you know, solving it. But, um, yeah, so that was cool, yeah.
0: Um, So so what do you think the future of AI is? Um, And I guess, um, how do you feel like it is at the moment? And this feeds very much into your research that you're doing in your master's.
1: I think at the moment, the purpose and development of AI is from probably an ethical or a a political or power dynamic perspective is unexamined. And at the moment, we've got a lot of private companies who are just like pumping all their cash into this because you can create products that people want to use, you can make a lot of money that way. And that's fine, there's nothing wrong with that, but it does hold incredible power and it does shape the way society develops. And if you've got all these algorithms that are going to slowly take over more and more of the different things that we use, um, and they are built on... Um, flawed data or assumptions or power dynamics that were unexamined are therefore replicated in the algorithm and then almost frozen in time and then reproduced in perpetuity and so I think what we have now is an opportunity to say well let's examine it and let's decide what what are we happy with what do we want to do we want to build in something that's you know assumes we will be biased and corrects us. How cool would that be? You know, if we, just by using some algorithms, change the gender balance in business in 10 years because of, you know, some HR software that introduces, you know, gender-blind applications.
0: So it's almost like fighting fire with fire, right, in that way?
1: Yeah, I think so. I I mean, these things are always tools, and, and I think... Yeah, we should all get involved in making this tool work for as many people as possible. And I mean, I think from a business perspective, you could if you could argue to government, we've built a tool that actually eliminates a need for X amount of services because we prevent those issues from happening in the first place, then I think maybe if I was business and I developed something that was clever like that, I would be saying give me a great tax break because I've prevented you know, how many people needing to use the NHS this month. Yeah. so I think there are so many ways to think about it which can be empowering for both business and for society but it's just not part of the conversation at the moment
0: <laughs> thanks Josie for being great at being human <laughs> thank you um, Josie Swords at uh, Goldsmiths College obviously uh, where are you moving to or what's going to happen after you finish?
1: hopefully I pass my course um, I don't know, who knows, I'm up for anything
13: One of my early jobs, after I gave up law was working for great universal stores in that time, the biggest mail order retail business in the country. And in the mid-50s, I can well remember going into a large warehouse on the floor and seeing stretched away the service ranks of over 200 people over desks writing out invoices by hand. In three years, the following three years, every one of those jobs went. But can you imagine a more soul-destroying job to spend your entire working life writing out invoices and having on the writing out more and more and more? That wasn't a job loss. That effectively was a job liberation because the vast majority of jobs that have been lost over the last 50 years because of technology have been a job nobody really wants to do. And that is why technology actually liberates well, you know, Napoleon once derided us as a nation of shopkeepers, and he wasn't far wrong. But over the last decade or two, we've seen another revolution in the shopping habits of this country, and more and more retail sales take place online. And AI is only going to make that even more irritating. I, I'm fed up already. I go and look at something on eBay or somewhere. And wherever I go, under the next two or three, I see more and more of exactly the same objects. When you have AI, it, it will make me suicidal. I'm quite convinced <laughs> about this. But what that effect is, once again, is a reduction in the number of places, reduction in the number of shops. It's only just starting. Uh, and already, I believe that uh, Amazon actually used 25% of the warehouse accommodation of this company. But we've done remarkably well as a country, we never talk about it for some reason. Since the financial crash of 08, we've developed the best startup rate of any major country in the world, better even than the United States. And the last poll I saw of 18 year olds had a majority wanting to work for themselves even if they didn't know how. So, what we've seen over the last 20 30 years is a steady gradual reju- a reduction in working hours we've seen throughout that period a complementary increase in leisure activities in, in, in restaurants in tourism that more than made up of the uh, um, more than made up for the loss of jobs. So I'll, I'll come on to that now we well, one of the things which, uh, <clears throat> You, you, you may know, looking here this morning, that people are living a little bit longer than they used to live um, and, um, and, and still working. And that's a considerable change in the makeup of our society. And there is absolutely no doubt there'll be a vast increase in the caring professions needed when people start living up to 80, 90, and over 100 as a matter of course. Of course, they'll be healthier going later, but there'll be a a long period in which they won't. And I read a great deal of tosh—not the only way I can describe it—about machines taking over the caring industries. But you know, um, the the one thing which is the penalty of the old is is loneliness, and the one thing that people look is to the touch of another human being. Um, I wonder. Could AI actually deliver the illogicality, the plain cussedness, the bad hair days, and all that actually is the spark of humanity? People will not put up with a soulless machine that does whatever they want. They want someone to have a chat with, they want someone to complain to. I promise you, as you get older, you complain So you, you want someone to complain to, and must listen as well, and reply occasionally. So, so I, I could see a, a shift in the work pattern as more and more people actually go to the cave, and it will become a high-paid job because they will have the wealth in society to, to really. <clears throat> of course, I accept there are spectacular changes to come. Uh, autonomous vehicles will end the career, I suppose. As delivery drivers, bus drivers, tube drivers, train drivers, even cabbies. It's going to be very boring when you won't have a cabbie to tell you what life is really like and how bad the government is, if you've just got an autonomous machine. But all those jobs will you go. Uh, in the car industry, I, I, I'm involved in, in the car industry in some of the things I do, um, and they're quite slow. In their cycles, but today, uh, not just electric cars, autonomous cars. Once we have autonomous cars. We probably do not need 80% of the number of cars we have today, because most cars spend 80% of their life in the garage. And once you have cars that aren't owned by anybody, um, you're going to do a lot less. So you will see big changes in manufacturing, you'll see big changes in lots of services. Uh, And what is more, they'll come fairly quickly, which is always a problem. Um, So, of course, there are good sides. If technology works we won't have traffic jams, um, but I, I would uh, defy any technology to get rid of traffic jams in life. So we're going to be faced with substantial job losses to come. Now, I've only been considering job losses for the by fairly simple AI, because the computer is an artificial intelligence of some sort. But now there's going to be prospect of job losses, by the most highly qualified people in our society—the doctors, the surgeons, even heaven help us, the lawyers—and that's going to be something we'll all have to live with. But if you look at the world, the medical world, the opportunity of giving every hospital the most qualified and skillful surgeon and diagnostician of world class will only be immense benefits, and that really will be enormous. But if we're going to create a healthy society, and that must be the objective of all of us, what we must not do is allow people, condemn people, to being out of work. You know, one of the reasons why I was an outer for 30 years is I could not tolerate countries in the EU seeing youth unemployment in some cases going up to 50%, 40%. It's a waste of a whole generation of of people and it's easy if the government sets their mind to it, to, as long as you can create an entrepreneurial environment to really set it up. And we have to do that. We, uh, The enormous growth of new businesses we've seen over the last four or five years didn't happen by accident. It happened with a concerted effort of a great number of people, both in government and out of government. And we must do it, and we must make sure we continue it. So I see the path ahead, being an incredible optimist, as clear. We must introduce AI as best we can. No question, don't slow it down, we do everything we have to do to bring it there, Because we must take advantage of the enormous improvement, qualitative improvements it we make to our way of life and, and, to, and to wealth creation. But at the same time, we have to cherish the entrepreneurial spirit, the ability to innovate, and create and thereby join the best of both worlds the world of intelligence both human and artificial thank you very much
14: I think that analysed social media and used it to affect people's political decisions. And I think that's um, one of uh, one of the main issues with AI, and also um, artificial intelligence being used in military, uh, etc.
2: have like bad intentions but they tend to end up working with models or systems um, that will have harm or harmful effects and that's because they're not aware of the data that they're training on for example but it wasn't their intention, and so that also makes it difficult to prevent it I would say. Um, and so i think one of my biggest concerns is that um, ai will increase the inequality in society rather than being a way to, um, to move society around
7: so I think my concern is uh, what I was saying earlier, which is actually you end up in this dystopia where people cross over the ethical lines that the public are, are kind of happy with. Uh, you lose public trust, and then you end up in a situation where you can't really use AI for imposters that it could do for society. So actually, you know, we could be using uh, machine learning and AI to improve the hiring decisions that we make, because actually there's a lot of bias already encoded in into what we do. Um, if we do it right, uh, and that, that applies across all sorts of things. You can be you, you can using it to you know, predict uh, uh, water shortages, uh, better measure poverty, et cetera, et cetera. There are all sorts of things you could do for the benefit of humanity. But to, to get through that, we've actually got to have a conversation with the public, which says, this is what we're planning on doing. Uh, are you happy? Where, 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 where are the cutoffs? Where do you not want us to go? And I think what yeah. I was talking about <laughs> earlier in terms of data monopolies, I think we've got to rethink the notion of data As being a commons, Uh, you know, if you look at, for example, the way that patent law works, (coughs) companies are given a patent over in the states uh, something, but it diminishes over time. So after twenty years or whatever, you have to let it go. And I wonder whether we might start thinking about data in the same way, but it's held in in a sort of stewardship model by Google and Facebook and others, rather than once they've got it, that's the end of it. My
15: worries, I, I have two big worries. Uh, one is, is the gender problem, which, which you know, is one of the, the foci of this particular group. I think it's appalling that uh, only, I think, 7% of, of computer scientists are women. Uh, it, essentially, it means that, that the AI that's being created right now is almost all of it being envisioned and, um, and developed by. Uh, essentially young white men, actually often young white libertarian men. Um, So there are several problems all mixed together there. Uh, And really this comes back also to the monopoly um, point which has just been made. I I worry enormously about um, all of the AI uh, and robotics technology being owned by a handful of companies, um, which wouldn't be so bad if they paid their taxes. And Mm -hmm. that really comes to the wealth inequality problem. Uh, you know, it's a fallacy that the Luddites were anti-technology. They were not. They were, they were very much in favour of the technology. They were anti-starvation, and I think in that sense we should all become Luddites.
2: The last session covered everything. So, everything from gender to uh, different cultural relationships, about ethics boards on big companies, uh, data monopolies. Who decides, how far can uh, techies, how far should they be expected to become sort of experts in ethics as well? Should they be ethically trained? Um, what kind of robots do we want to see in the future? Should we shout at Alexa? <laughs> <laughs> um, but we covered a broad range, but I think there are a few quite um, strong themes about everyone who thought more ethics seemed to be a very good idea. Um, I think what would be great on this panel are some practical, um, sort of answers, because we all agree, wouldn't it be nice to have more women in tech? There's only about 16% of women in the biggest tech companies. Um, Wouldn't it be great to have data people being more uh, ethical? No one actually came up with a good solution about how do we do that? Um, Wouldn't it be great to have the ethics panels of the big companies be public and the ethics advisors? And again, there was no mechanism to do that. And how will the government think about this and these kinds of issues? And my final thought is, given that this is one of the most important areas of public policy, where tech means public policy, a lack of famous people thinking about this, who we can actually name, is shocking. So if anyone wants to put their hands up and be that person in the future, that would be really helpful. So Deb, if I can hand over to you about, just talk through not channeling your inner Theresa May, um,
6: <laughs>
14: <Yeah>. but, uh,
2: <laughs> but sort of
4: Like a Chatham House rule, right? How, how
2: government is sort of thinking about it um,
8: and from the perspective of the new Regulatory Body you're looking at? The, the report is going to, will likely come forward with a data Stewardship Body. Now this is not a Regulator, but a Stewardship Body is essentially something that um, can act as a leadership vehicle for society. Uh, it will not be part of government, it should not be part of government, because frankly Wend not the best people to do something like that. Um, it should not be private, it should be completely independent. Um, I don't personally know where that stewardship body would sit but if you imagine a completely independent body that sits as leaders of our society that can show us the view, the world and the future for data governance. Um, The second thing I'd signpost towards is algorithmic decision-making which the parliament is is looking into. Um, That that follows into the ethics debate and and that's going on or should resume uh, shortly ooh, I'm
7: not really a woman in tech, but I can talk about women in science. We have similar kinds of issues. Um, and I i mean, there are definitely challenges all along the way. We know that girls drop off, women drop off. The higher you get, the fewer women are around. Um, and I, I think it's right. I mean, the, the, the one of the main reasons why I'm in science is because there is one woman in our field, and essentially I want it to be like her. And so I think you're right, Of the woman at the top, the role models, we, we know this. We know this from science, we know this from studies. If you see people who look like you at the top, you think maybe I can be that person. Um, and I think that's what we need in tech. Um.
15: Thank you, yeah, I mean, the, the fact is, of course, that we've all, uh, whether we know it or not, have made a kind of Faustian pact you know, with, with uh, you know, the big companies, Google, Amazon, Facebook, and so on. So you know, the, the, the pact is that they give us cool technology and in, ex- in exchange, we give them our data. And of course, you know, we've, we've only latterly realized how valuable that data is. <coughs> because essentially, that, that's what those companies are, they're, they're data companies. Um, and, and I think we do need to reevaluate that, 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 that kind of contract. What, what's the
2: What can you unpack that and tell them what does that actually mean? So let's say I'm a bit bothered about the fact that my data is being used by a company. Yeah. Talk me through what what you can actually practically do if you start to become concerned as a citizen in this area. Yeah.
15: Well, <coughs> I mean, obviously, radically, you can, for instance, not use Facebook. Um, seriously, I mean, I don't use Facebook. It's it's not obligatory to use Facebook.
14: Um, <laughs>
15: Uh, and and just be more careful. I mean, it, you know, it, it, I know it's hard, but but um, and this is really where the, the, again the tech companies fail. They they make it basically very difficult to uh, to set the privacy settings. So I think we need to really. Um, it's it, it's just not on. I mean, we need to make it clear to the to the, to the data companies that. that it should be easier, easy for us to switch, you know, switch on
7: we're the privacy options. When we click that terms and conditions box, just to get into a website, uh, we never read what it says. I mean, it's the, it's the length of Hamlet, I think, most of those conditions that we've seen. One company uh, put, you said it's a Faustian pack, one company took that literally and put an internal soul clause so you were giving the right to your soul and hundreds of people signed up to that because nobody read it Uh, another another company called game station said the first person that claims this prize will get x thousand dollars and it took three months before anyone claimed it because nobody read so there is something about this idea of making it a very contractual relationship so legalistically the company's on the right side of what's happened but in practice nobody really knows what's happening On the other hand, as as you say, we are getting some freebies back. I mean, I love my Gmail, but Gmail knows everything I think, right? So there's some kind of odd things going on there. And clearly all of us do it. So it's not necessarily at the individual level transaction that there's a problem. It's the fact that, I mean, my data doesn't mean all that much to me, but it's when it's all combined that it's very, very powerful. So that's where I suppose, for me, it matters more if you can tackle it at the regulatory level of data monopolies. If we can make sure that You know, no company becomes too powerful. No company gets an advantage so that actually nobody can ever challenge Google because it's got all the data that there ever was and no one can ever break in. So for me, it becomes a competition law issue rather than a kind of, what do I do with my individual privacy settings issue.
2: What kind of um, social media are you on? And do you worry about your privacy and data settings and how your data might be used?
14: Okay, I'm not on any social media at the moment, mainly. I find it's a distraction and I, I really can't be bothered, uh, a lot of my friends use it. Um, I don't want to be forced to like reply to people messaging me all the time, I find that really annoying. <laughs> uh, this is my end of my life uh, without being pressured to like photos of people in places where I want to be whilst I'm sitting at my desk working. And, uh, <laughs>
7: Um, So I think this is where you can have ethical debates about, sort of, how did you do it, but the biggest thing, the biggest ethics issue is the purpose. What's the purpose of the thing? So, and there are lots of examples, but to give one, there is an algorithm, a machine learning program being used at the moment to reduce the poaching of elephants in Africa. Uh, So, looking at taking in the data from drones, Using machine learning recognition to then be able to tell is something an elephant or an intruder or a poacher uh, and then be able to swoop in to kind of stop that. So so the purpose is the most important thing Uh, and to give the converse example, uh, there's an algorithm they use in Las Vegas casinos to estimate the spend threshold that you have so that at what point will you say I've had enough uh, and just at the point that you're hitting that spend threshold, somebody will come over and buy you a drink. Yes. And that's proven to show that uh, you will then break your spend threshold. Oh, now, yeah. that is clearly not in any way a public benefit, it's only a private benefit to that casino. So, purpose is the overriding way of actually understanding ethics. Thank you.
4: Julie? Uh, I think we need to
7: be, we cannot overstate the importance of AI learning our biases and we need to right into regulation for business and maybe government, how we can build that.
14: Thank you. Uh,
5: Developers and tech companies can be transparent about the data that they are
14: using to train train AIs and publish that so that biases are made clear.
0: Thank you.
14: Um, As Josie was saying before, I would think that any AI used, if they become sufficiently advanced, should confer with um, or agree with the UN human rights declaration and also just uh, conduct itself in a, uh, in a manner that respected people's privacy, unlike my Alexa, that shows all out. it's data to the FBI. I'm
8: <laughs> 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 building on what Sam said, uh, what are the real concrete uh, mechanisms for safe, fair and equitable outcomes for all parties?
2: Uh, I, I think there's a real issue for, for big companies who get heroised for aligning themselves with AI. They look cool if you're a big you know, uh, legal company or something and everyone goes hooray, hooray. But I think they are less good at the moment in actually articulating to their workforce or to their people who might be out of jobs in the future. And whose responsibility is it to tell the lorry driver that in five years' time they're out of their job or the call centre worker they're out of the job? At the moment, I don't think anyone's taking responsibility for them and companies are generally still being praised in the, in the media for anything to do with AI in terms of outcomes. And yet I don't think they are proactively engaging with the potential boss within their own companies.
7: Thank you. Uh, the thing you can do is join the Royal Statistical Society. Anyone can join. Thank you. But, but I mean, seriously, uh, two things. Well, one is we're a community that's thinking about these issues, so it's a kind of professional development opportunity for the, the world of data science, but also we're, a, we're one of the few active voices campaigning on this issue. So we've been calling for this council for data ethics, we've been calling for changes, and you know, you can add your voice to that. Thank you. As <laughs> AI, um, I need massive amounts of data, and we have to a lot of data. It's really about um, not cutting um, startups or companies to to use that data. So that's probably a question for the government. Uh, but uh, as we use data, it's really about consent. So um, be able, uh, people being able to consent uh, to the use of data and the purpose. Uh, so if we have a purpose which is good and people agree uh, to, to for us to use the data, uh, that's, that's probably the, the right way to create AI companies. Thank
1: you. I think the most important thing is that we need to raise um, your awareness around this issue and educate people. I I was the only girl in my computer programming class in high school, and in a lot of my engineering classes during college and grad school, and I didn't think to myself that this is weird. I just sort of accepted it as, oh, it, it's what it is. but. That's not how things should be in order for us to solve any of these issues. People have to know and people have to make loud noises about it.
15: Thank you. I'm going to be greedy and i say two things, Okay. very short. Number yes. one, join the IEEE ethics initiative It's completely open. Mm-hmm. Number two, write to your MP. Wonderful, mm-hmm. brilliant.
2: <laughs> but um, ethics is impacting the whole process from data connection to when you're deploying it. And so you're never done thinking about ethics.
14: Thank you, Tracy. I'll be quick. Let's hardwire
1: ethics into everything we think about when we talk about AI.
6: Nice. I like